Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast, and I'm with the one and only Alex Youngblood. Alex, how are you? Good man, the one and only Joe McCall. Good that's to be right. on with you. That's right. Don't forget it. <laughs> Just kidding. So, uh, how are things going for you, man? Good, good. Uh, I've had some cool stuff uh, happen recently. Be um, using uh, attorneys to help clear up some uh, liens and judgments and things that didn't seem like uh, deals would be deals. But uh, I brought in a great attorney. They came in and negotiated some uh, some hard liens. Uh, one of them, they got a $15,000 lien all the way down to zero. <laughs> so these were these are properties that you're trying to buy? Yeah. Yep. For uh, wholesale purposes. So uh, for instance, there was a property um, uh, where it was, man, it would have been Almost back in the summer uh, that I had under contract, we were ready to to uh, buy it. Um, I was just going to buy it myself, actually take it subject to do a rehab and resell it. Uh-huh. And uh, what happened was a fifteen thousand dollar judgment popped up from this guy from uh, like fifteen years ago oh, wow. on a uh, car note, um, and I kind of almost just put it to the side and even thought about going the short sale route. And then I was like, no, man, maybe not. And it kind of sat there for a while. And then I got in touch with this attorney who's been working on another deal for me, uh, getting uh, a unreleased deed of trust released um, and brought this one back into the mix and said, hey, what can we do with this? And this guy is so smart that what he did was uh, because the attorney wouldn't respond to us because uh, they couldn't get in touch with their client. So they just said, all we can accept for a payoff is the full amount. Right. So this attorney went around to the actual lien holder uh, or the one, the company that bought the lien and said, hey, we would like to buy the lien from you. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, they so, so they said, oh, uh, okay. So he said, okay, so send me over all the paperwork you have on this lien so that we can uh, buy this from you. And turns out that they didn't have enough paperwork to sell the lien. So guess what? <laughs> you got it removed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they, they went around and, uh, and just released it instead because they realized they didn't have a leg uh, – to stand on, I guess, even though they were still asking for the full amount, I guess, through the attorney from the other side of things. Well, we should we should talk offline and give me this guy's name and number. Yeah, yeah. I Actually, I don't know how does that work with attorneys in different states and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty amazing. And uh, the attorney was like, so how much did you want to pay to release this lien? <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know. Uh, you know, What's a third, your- five grand. He's like, well, how about zero? <laughs> I'm like, wow. okay, we'll take it. That's a great idea. For people to do a lot of short sales. Yeah. That's a great tip. I mean, it's not a short sale, but... But yeah, you could... Because usually there's judgments, other judgments on the properties, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you could go around pretending you want to buy it. And chance, yeah. chances are they don't... So, okay, well, I, I don't want to go into too much detail. Yeah, yeah. We have our guest listening in here. Um, a very important guest, I might yes. I, I might say. I just want to tell you one th- what happened. I got a, a text over the weekend. Can I read it to you? Read it. This is from my one of my wholesalers that I work with. One of the things I do is I... I 
I do the marketing, I pre-screen the leads, and I send these leads to my wholesaler partners who go get the deals and we split the deals, right? Yeah. So he says, hey, Joe, hope all is well. Just got a deal of ours under contract with a spread of $32,000 total closing this month. Boom. Boom. Merry Christmas. <laughs> is that cool? That is cool. So that we is- split that 50-50. I'll make 16 k I don't know where this house is. Never seen it. Never talked to the seller. Don't know who the buyer is. And it's, it's a beautiful awesome. thing. I love it. And he's happy too. Yeah. He's happy too. But um, good. Well, we, we've got uh, first one to tell you guys go to realestateinvestingmastery.com to check out our Fast Cash Survival Kit and to listen to all of our previous episodes. We've been interviewing some really cool people lately. And uh, we've got another one online today. Um, but go to realestateinvestingmastery.com to get our show notes and also get our Fast Cash Survival Kit. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like the show. We'd really appreciate the, the reviews that we get. So, uh, Alex, we've got a guy on today. His name is Clayton Morris. Clayton Morris, from uh, most of you guys know him from Fox News and Friends on the weekends. Now, Clayton, uh, don't be nervous. Uh, I, this, is, uh, <laughs> this is a real estate investing mastery show. It's, it's going to be okay. Don't be nervous. <laughs> we, yeah, we I know, have now, huge this is, viewing. <laughs> this is, I know, this is nerve-wracking now. Uh, I'm, I'm going to treat it the same way I would treat it as if I'm interviewing Donald Trump or uh, uh, presidential uh, candidates uh, or just uh, just uh, go easy on me. That's <laughs> it's, it's, uh, we're, we're pretty laid back here. And you guys are really laid back on your show as well. I sometimes... I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, I, I've been doing that show for almost eight years now, Fox and Friends, on the weekend. So I do the Saturday and Sunday version of the show. And, you know, they brought me in because I'm, I'm sort of a fun morning show guy. You yeah. know, I don't, I don't try to get too political. I just try to have fun. And, you know, it's, hey, people are waking up with their kids on a Saturday and Sunday morning and they just don't want to be uh, smacked over the head with craziness. Although, sadly, lately we've had a lot of the terrible news in the world. But, you know, we try to just have fun and, and uh, try to make it accessible and not, not, I try to be not too, too presumptuous and, and just try to be in, as accessible as I can for families who maybe had a busy, busy week and didn't get any uh, news and they get to kind of catch up on the weekend. That's always, always been my goal. Yeah, I was awesome. watching um, videos of the, this last weekend show and you guys were talking about lead-based paint Christmas ornaments. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and how yeah, you're nostalgic of those good old days, you know? Right, right. Oh yeah, tinsel. Yeah, yeah. You remember? You remember some of those things from childhood? I mean, tinsel that might like you, you know, the cat used to chew on. And yes. Yeah. Choke up. It's like Love. where did some of that Chinese-made lead-based <laughs> Christmas stuff go? It's it probably it was so poisonous, and yeah, but I miss those days as well. Um, yeah. So, but Clayton, you're also a real estate investor. I am. I am. You know, one of the benefits of working in the news business is that I've I've lived all over the country. Uh, you know, for, after college in 1999, moved out to Los Angeles and started as a producer on Good Day LA, and from there to Montana, from Montana to West Virginia, Virginia, then Ohio, lived out in Ohio, then down to Florida, then Philadelphia, and then now to the network in New York City. And you know, I just got to have a I'm not scared of going out of state to do real estate deals, and um, which can be both a good and a bad thing. Uh, but yeah, I've gotten to see a lot of the country. I think you know, early on, I realized moving across the country when I lived up in Montana, for instance, I was you know really living on the margins. And I think yeah. people have this perception of working in TV is like making tons of money. And here I was, a political reporter covering the governor's office in Helena, Montana, and I I 
at the time it was the, the internet was pretty nascent, right? So you didn't have a lot of access to sort of Craigslist to find apartments. And so I moved from Los Angeles. I couldn't afford to drive up there first and find an apartment. I just had to pack up and move. Hmm. I got on the phone and found an apartment up there. And it was an old Victorian house like right near the Capitol. And it was it was like a two-family. So the upstairs they used as an apartment. But they never had it rented the entire time I, I lived there. But I rented it from a couple that lived in Missoula. I think it was their first home. And they moved to Missoula. And so I was paying like five twenty-five a month to live in this place. And my salary every month was about $500 a month. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I was literally going into debt. And that didn't even account for like groceries and gas. I mean, I went into debt, you know, and I, I was really making like no money at all. And, uh, and, and saw like here I am paying rent to somebody who lives, you know, three hours away in Missoula. And they're making five twenty-five off of a place. And, you know, that, that was one of my first sort of ideas about real estate that, Wow, I need to figure this out eventually. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Montana's gorgeous too, by the way. Beautiful. We drove through there on our three-month trip last year. Oh, it's so beautiful. I, I love that area. You know, we went to we went to Europe, not to brag, but um, yeah, to brag really. I we we went to Europe <laughs> and we went on this RV trip. But you know what I enjoyed more was driving through the northwestern quarter of the U.S., seeing the, all the national parks up there. Just amazing. I enjoyed that more than uh, traveling around Europe. Yeah, I want to take my kids up there. My wife, who's from the San Francisco Bay Area, has never been to Montana. Oh, wow. So I want to take them out there sometime. Uh, you know, when I moved there, I moved there on September 1st. It started snowing on September 21st, which is the first day of fall, you know, for most normal people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, and it didn't stop snowing until I moved, it felt like. So, you know, wow. you're driving on snowpack. You know, they don't use salt crystals because it's terrible for the environment. So you're driving on like a foot of snow most of the winter. So I got really good. Even though I grew up in Philadelphia, in that area where we had snow, this really taught me how to, how to drive on snow the right way. Well, the weather's not much better in New York now either, is it? No, it ends up last year. And you know in the Midwest, it was just a brutal, brutal uh, winter last year. But it's, uh, you know, we had snow on Thanksgiving last year. And this year, though, it seems pretty mild. Like it's been in the 50s and I'm just out in a sweatshirt today, uh, this morning after taking the kids to school and... So, uh, yeah, hopefully we won't be in for a brutal winter. I know put, you know, where I do a lot of rental properties and things in the Midwest to put a, put a halt to getting up on rooftops for our crews and, you know, getting up there doing any roof repairs because of the ice and things. So it was a brutal, brutal winter. So hopefully, uh, not as, not as bad this year. Well, let's talk about how you got started in real estate. Now I was surprised you listened to our show. I love your show. You guys, by the way, I mean, provide incredible like tactics and there's quite a bit of, you know, quite a few things that I've employed over the years. And I have probably like an Evernote file of stuff from, from Alex and Joe of, I mean, you can literally go back to some of the early episodes. Wow. Um, awesome. And pull tons of great data and information about just marketing and Craigslist or different things. And so I've got Evernote file filled with uh with searchable notes from things that i've heard on your show you know i'll just use my i'm a tech guy so i'll just use my iphone and just sort of dictate notes and i'll just send it right off to evernote like if i'm listening to one of your shows over the years um i would just press pause on the podcast flip up on my iphone just to the uh the notes file or evernote and i would just record a little you know voice dictation or just scroll out a note and then send it right off to evernote with like so i can find it later that's amazing See, no one from CNN has ever 
told me that they listened to our <laughs> Anderson show. Anderson Cooper. <laughs> no, I've never gotten a, a call from Anderson Cooper saying, hey, can I be on your show? But, you know, th- this is one of those, I think, important messages, though, for a lot of people. And I have to say, I do a lot of real estate meetings, so I'll go to a lot of real estate investing meetings here in New Jersey where I live and, and do wholesaling here. And one of the things that I hear from a lot of the people that I meet is how they've been listening to certain shows for a long time or Bigger Pockets or your guy, you know, Joe and Alex for a long time. But what they don't do is they don't take action. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I've been blessed with is that I've always ta- I've always shot first and then aimed later, yeah, <laughs> which you know has led a pro- it has led to some problems. So to get how I got started to answer your question in real estate was a really just a ready aim, uh, ready fire aim. I love that. When my show that I worked on called The Daily Buzz, which was a morning show about 15 years ago or so. It was, a, it was a new morning show, and we started in Dayton, Ohio. And after living there for two years, they finally they, – they told us they were going to build us a new studio in Florida. So they finally did in Lake Mary, Florida. We moved to Orlando, Florida, and I bought my first place. And, of course, this was right before the crash. You know, It was like a two years before oh. the crash. So you could get 100% financing, and that's what I did. I bought this one-bedroom condo on the uh, – on a golf course. Okay. And it had like a 1970s look to it inside. It was dated. So I lived there for two years. And on, while I lived there, I painted it. I ripped out some old like wooden light boxes in the bathroom that looked like they were made of driftwood. I mean, they looked just terrible, you know, and <laughs> took out some light boxes in the kitchen and redid it myself. I did some, some of my own, you know, uh, drywall and painting and painting of cabinets and put in new appliances and updated the look of it. And I bought it with 100% financing at the time. And I think I even at the time rolled in my closing costs to the, to the 100% financing. So it was like 101% financing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember those days. But that was really when I first got involved in real estate. But I didn't know anything like I know now. And so I didn't know, I didn't know anything about off-market properties or anything like that. All I knew is you call up a realtor, you had them find you a property, and you buy it. Well, next door to me was a woman in a two-bedroom condo who passed away. She lived there for like 30 years and smoked heavily. So all of the cabinets were like covered in like two inches of tobacco. Um, You could literally like scrape it off if you wanted to and roll your own cigarettes. And the carpeting, it was just nasty. You know, even like the furnace, the the air filters in the furnace looked like, you know, like somebody had been in a coal mine for – Five years, you know, like black lung. It was terrible. But the family inherited this property and sort of word spread through the condo complex that they didn't want – they knew that it needed a lot of work and they knew that they didn't want to put it out with a realtor and have to deal with all of that, someone trying to get a mortgage on it. So I got in contact with them and made them an offer. And once again, I did 100% financing. So through the bank, let me do this. I even rolled in my closing costs. And so now I owned two properties and I was making very little money on this morning show. And I think I was making, I want to say I was making like somewhere under like 40,000 Okay. on a national morning show. We were on, on like 140 cities. So, so this is, wow. this is in the uh, 2005, 2006 time. Right. 2000. Yeah. So 2006, 2007, right in that, that time. Yeah. I think I remember the daily buzz. Was it, um, was it, uh, was there a guy with like uh, kind of blonde, spiky hair, kind of a jokey kind of guy, funny kind of thing? Yeah, my, my buddy Mitch, Mitch English. Okay. Okay. Yeah, good friend of mine. He was our weather guy. Is he still there? No, the show folded actually last year officially. He left like three years ago. He's actually now a news anchor in Oklahoma. Okay. Uh, 
yeah, we were just texting the other morning as all that bad weather was floating through Oklahoma. They were doing wall-to-wall coverage. But yeah, it was uh, it, you know it was a fun show. They brought us together because I had worked at Good Day LA, and so they knew that I understood like fun morning TV. And so we we're trying to create a morning show that was sort of like a hip alternative to the Today Show, like a younger, hipper. Yeah. And, you know, we did news, we did, you know, uh, entertainment and randomness. And it was just a, it was, it was like getting monkeys together saying, hey, create a morning show. And like, that's what we did, you know, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, I would never take those those days back because it was like, wow, we all had our ideas of what morning TV should be like. And we, it was like letting the inmates run the asylum, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. So I bought this house in uh, next door to me. And with 100% financing. So now I had two houses, 100% financing, and uh, had rehabbed mine already and then started – I would go to work at 2 in the morning, do the morning show from like 6 to 9 a.m., come home around noon. Uh, and uh, after I had written, like, written my stories for the next day, I would come home at noon and then just go to work on this condo. And I was painted – you know, pulled out all the cabinets, painted all the cabinets – Put in all new appliances, had all the carpet ripped out, new carpet, did all you know the furnace, air filters, cleaned everything out. Um, I had to put on like twenty layers of primer to cover up the oh, wow. you know horrible smoking. It was terrible. Uh, painted the walls, did everything, and managed to. I think about after three or four weeks, I did all the work myself, and then I would go to bed at like eleven thirty at night. It was horrible. Uh, backbreaking work, you know. And then I sold both of them. I listed both of them, and I was getting panicky because I thought, you know, like they were starting to get some rumbles of the market was about, you know, something fishy was going on with the market. Yeah. And that's and I sold both of them to two different buyers literally a week before the crash happened. Oh wow! Literally before like John McCain was suspending his campaign and all of that. I remember. You I know, remember that, yeah. Come, like McCain was flying back to Washington like on a white horse yeah. you know, to, to, like, to save the day. He canceled his Letterman <laughs> appearance and Letterman mocked him for it. You know, the whole – that it was, it was a crazy <laughs> time, you know. So I ended up um, selling them right – I made a lot of money on it. I bought the, you know, the one-bedroom condo for like 70-something and sold it for like 130. And, and you know, I had it for two years, so I didn't pay wow. cap gains on it. I lived in it and worked on it. And then the other one, I ended up making a good chunk of change on it as well. And then I ended up making all the mistakes, you know, land deals and speculative land deals, right? Like during the crash, before the crash and lost, you know, pretty much lost all of that money <laughs> and, you know, went through a foreclosure. And But that was my first entry into realizing like the value of off-market real estate and making that connection with the family. So yeah. that was, you know, that was my first in- introduction to that. I'm curious about the land deal that you, because I've, I've been, have had a renewed interest recently in land. It's, it, yeah. What were you doing with land at the time? Well, it wasn't like, I, and I know where your head is at on land, and mine has been that way too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have obviously a tendency to sh- chase shiny objects. So I kind of got into some land, uh, you know, deals lately. Um and I think that they're probably great. It's just like where my attention needs to be in focus. It's like you can do 80 things yeah. somewhat well or you can do like one thing very well. And so I've had to kind of pull back on some of that. But the land that I was doing then was really like buying this parcel of land but in this community it was about to be built. So buying a deeply discounted pre-construction home plan. Yeah. In this development, and then at a hundred, you know, a hundred percent financing or whatever it was, again. So you got and, even. You even got financing for it. Oh yeah, 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 fully. Oh, wow. And then ended up like the whole community like collapsed. 
Um, and it was, you know, and I ended up having that you couldn't even find the developer anymore. But then, of course, you're still on the hook for this. I mean, it was just a disaster. Oh, wow. You couldn't find anyone. Like, people just, like, vanished into the woodwork, you know, and it was – and so I ended up – and I wasn't even living there anymore. I had since moved and – oh. But, you know, you live and learn. You yeah. Know, so that's why I don't do speculative things <laughs> anymore. But, yeah, that was a mistake. So um, if it okay. sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so you what, – what happened then? This was – the market crashed. Did you – when did you move to Jersey, New York area? Yeah, I mean, I after the market crashed, I ended up moving to Philadelphia. And, you know, I was still reeling from having gone through this foreclosure. You know, credit was hit, the whole thing. And I just, I stayed away from, I stayed away from real estate then. You know, I really didn't, really didn't do anything with it. It wasn't until three or four years ago uh, now. So now it's, you know, end of 2015, 2016, in 2012, I ended up on a flight. I'm a sort of amateur photographer, and I was flying to New Zealand to see uh, my friend who lives there in the Southern Island. And he's, a, he's one of the world's best photographers, my friend Trey Ratcliffe. So I was going to his house and flying there for a like, five-day trip. And I'm on this long, you know, 80-hour flight, and I'm next to this couple who are in their like mid to late 50s. They're mm-hmm. not retired. But after like sleeping and being groggy and waking up, we got to talking and I said – they asked me how long I was going. I said, oh, about five days, six days I have to get back. And I said, how long are you going to be there? I said, oh, we're going to do both islands. We're going to be there for about two months. I said, two months? What do you do that you can go here for two months, you know? And I said, oh, I, you know, I'm a real estate investor. Hmm. Said, ah. So then the, I, for the next two hours, just picked his brain and that was really – the catalyst. That oh, wow. is what opened the floodgates for me to start down this path of education in real estate investing. And I found out that he was, you know, buying he one of the markets that he was buying in was in Michigan. So and I, he told me, you know, he he doesn't necessarily work with realtors, but they do different things and and he and his partner are buying up like single family homes. Well, I had cash now I had now saved and you know, and I wanted to put it to use and I knew that real estate was the way to go. A week after I got back from New Zealand, I booked a trip and flew into Michigan and met with a distressed property realtor and looked at like 26 properties. And I bought my first two – I bought two of them, uh, single-family homes. You know, I think bought them for like 25000 something like that. And what, what year was this? 2013. Okay. So the market was just starting to come back in Michigan. Right, right. You know, not – and pretty close to Detroit. You know, Detroit is coming back now, but just outside of Detroit, so like near Ford, you know, and blue-collar blue collar jobs, decent school districts, um, you know, good areas, single-family homes, garage, you know, three-bedroom, one-bath, big yard. Um, so, you know, B and C neighborhoods. Yeah. And uh, I bought these two from afar, and a friend of mine uh, who worked at Ford, his brother uh, – were, was a contractor in in that area, and so he was a you know family friend. Did a great job. I built sort of like a team there with my property management company, the whole thing, and started to cash flow those properties. But then again, I you know had bought them through a realtor, and then I just the floodgates sort of opened when I started to put realize okay, I I want to I want to explode this now, like I want to take this to the next level. Two properties is fine. And I started to think about this idea of my freedom number. Hmm. 
And what is it to reach financial freedom? You know, so many people have this perception of athletes and, you know, professional athletes and actors and news anchor, whatever, at a network where you're just sort of like swimming in cash, like Scrooge McDuck, you know, just like, <laughs> like a sleep on a pipe. It's like, it's not true at all. And interesting. You know, many of these, like I talk to a lot of NFL athletes who, you know, like come on our show and they, very often the smart ones, and there's very few of them, were very smart with their money and, you know, invested in real estate while they were in the NFL, which, as you know, can be like a fleeting career, right? It can be like three years and you're done. Yeah. So, yeah, and, they could make, I mean, well, I guess that most most people are not going to make them even a million a year in the NFL, right? What's it normally, two fifty, three? Four hundred thousand. What? What is it until you? Right. You know. In fact, I even talked to a professional baseball player the other day who told me he said, "I think most people have no idea how little you make because you, even when you're in the minors, you, you're making so little you don't even get like health benefits because you're yeah. only playing for like a few months of the year, and then the rest of the year you're off. And then who's going to want to hire you for seven months? Right? Interesting. Like, oh, I can only work here for seven months because then I play baseball for five. So you really have to be smart with your money. And so I began to think about, you know, I grew up with, let me just say this because I think it's so important. And I know probably a lot of your listeners suffer from this as well. I grew up with a negative association with money. Mm-hmm. And one of my real um, missions in life now, and it's really hit me hard over the past few months, is to really help as many people as I can shake this negative association with money We've probably come from a place of lack. I heard routinely growing up, oh, you know, we can't afford that. We're not the Rockefellers. So I always had this, oh, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. Take any one of those phrases. I'm sure we've all heard them, some more than others. And then, I, you know, there's certain friends of mine who never grew up with that negative association with money. And they just sort of swim in abundance because they don't know any differently. Yeah. Their mind just, their mind operates towards abundance. And regardless of what you think sort of about the secret or any of that, you know, you, you, you meditate, prayers, any of that is, is so true that when your brain is trained around lack and competition and negativity and self-loathing, you are going to attract more of that into your life. You're constantly going to find excuses for why you can't achieve certain things. The only person that holds you back is you. The only person that does. And so when I meet people at RIA meetings who are, oh, I've been listening for two years and I haven't done anything, you know, it's because of fear. That's it. They're only, so I, I know so many people suffer from a fear of money and a fear of action because yeah. of what it might do. And frankly, fear of success. Like what would actually happen if I was successful? I would, I'd have to let go of this narrative that I'm a, I come from a place of lack. People love their stories, right? Like what's your story? Oh, you know, I just grew up with nothing and I just, you know, and that's how my family is. So I need the government to pay for everything. I need people to just to feel pity on me and, you know, just pull yourself up. And so, you know, not to go off on that, but I I really began to realize that the only person that was going to get me out of this was me. It wasn't like some, you know, minimum wage rate rate hike for 15 cents is going to help me. It's Mm -hmm. not that, oh, just getting an extra $10,000 a year at my job is going to help me. Or a better 401k plan. No, at the end of the day, all of that, including the NFL players, it's all a paycheck. So I really began to obsess around this idea of creating your freedom number and what that means for you. Because so many people say, oh, you know, Joe or Alex, you might say, oh, I want to have a million dollars. I want to make $2 million. It's like, well, why? Really? Is that, where does that number even come from? Yeah. What does that mean to you? 
Well, a lot of people think too, Clayton. You you must be swimming in a lot of money being a news anchor, and a on a very popular network. And you're saying that it's just it's it's maybe what not all. It's, that it's not what you think, <laughs> right? If you are if you are Matt Lauer and you make you know I don't know whatever it is you know fifteen million a year, ten million a year. Wow, you know, <laughs> then then you don't probably need to invest in real estate, right? You probably have enough a, a way that can act as your nest egg for the rest of your life and provide legacy wealth for your family. But for most news anchors, I'm not at the Matt Lauer level by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. I do very well and, I'm, and I, I don't be, you know, I, I would never, uh, I'm, I'm very humbled oh, by how ready? lucky I've been. Are you ready for this? I just looked it up. Matt Lauer, Lauer $28 million annually. <laughs> okay, so I'm way off. <laughs> not even, not even close. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I, wow. I'm humbled by where I'm at in my life, and I get to anchor the number one morning show in cable news in the world. I I'm, I'm, I'm pinch myself every time I'm there, and I'm, you know, sitting next to, you know, amazing people like Joe Montana or whatever. I'm just like, where awesome. does I come from? You know? So I am very, very humbled by that. But I also realize that it is still a paycheck. And, it, you know, absolutely everyone who is in this, in this business or anywhere, maybe you're making $200,000 a year, maybe you're making $500,000 a year. When you start to analyze what your 401k will look like upon retirement, and that what level you would like you like to live your life by that 401k is not going to get you very far at all well especially with with you in the media i mean one politically insensitive comment your career's over right or and like so an injury to a nfl right. player <laughs> Right. And I'll be honest with you. I lost my job a number of years ago, um, not because of something I said or did, but because the news director who came in at the time wanted sort of a more hard news direction in the morning. And that, you know, he admitted, he's like, look, you know, we, the previous news director brought you in because you're sort of a fun morning guy and I want to take the show in a different direction. So we just don't see eye to eye on that. And, you know, you're at the mercy of other people. Yeah. You've got a contract and Hey, we're not going to renew you. And then suddenly, that fear of money and fear of lack all comes pouring back to me. I remember at 13 years old, my dad losing his job, and oh. it was devastating to me. Wow. Because I thought the world was over, you know, and you're beholden to somebody else. Wow. So I, I really want to impress upon people, like, you know, I know you guys talk a lot of great tactics and strategies, but I really, what I'm obsessed with lately has been the higher level changing the way that we think about our lives and money. Because why are we doing any of this? I know you guys talk quite a bit about I mean, Joe going to Prague and, and Alex being able to you know, build your ho- house and living the life that you want, being able to be around your kids when they come into your office. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, you know, I'm He's seeing right. some videos. <laughs> some videos. I, yeah. I know you guys, and I know, you know we're, we're cut from that same cloth. And so when I started to develop this idea of the freedom number, which is just, you know, I, that's all I came up with. It's, I'm not a genius. But I just started to talk to my wife. I said, what would it mean for us every month? Like if we took our expenses – and by the way, I put this all together for people for free because I had so many people asking me about this. So if you just go to my website, it's free. It's claytonmorris.com slash freedom. You can download a PDF. So if you're driving right now, you're at the gym, don't worry about all these numbers um, because it's a lot of numbers. We'll like put just, it in the uh, show notes. Yeah, so don't get in a car accident. But I, I just kind of want to walk you through like what, like what this exactly kind of looks like. So what I like to do is I think about when you're, if you're listening right now, what is your freedom number, right? And what that is is, is you take six months of your 
take six months out of the year of your average expenses, okay? So, and disc- discount the holidays, which is always, you know, you think you're going to spend $2,000 or $1,500 on all your presents, <laughs> you're going to spend three. So take out the holidays, right? Because that's, that's an anomaly of a month. So um, what you want to do is you want to then take that, take six months of that, the average of that, um, worth of expenses, and find the average of those months. And I want you to include everything, like the electric bill, cable bill, groceries, gas for the car, Netflix subscription, tuition, taxes, mortgage or rent, few dinners out, a movie. It doesn't matter. Don't leave anything out. Don't cut any corners. Um, and you know, like I said, skip the holidays because it will throw everything out of whack. Take those six months worth of expenses and then find the average of those months. So let's for the sake totally of argument here that your number is $4,500 a month, okay? Just make it easy on people. Now, I want you to get a pad of paper out, and I want you to like pad that a little bit. So add about 10%, just to give you some extra freedom. So you, you know, this could five be an extra grand. couple. Yeah, it could be an extra you know, little bit. So that's $60,000 a year. What's that? $60,000 a year, five grand times 12. There you go, yeah. So that's the 10% of 4,500 is 450 bucks. So you're rounding it up. You're adding that little 10% just for you know, travel or whatever it is. That's $5,000 a month to Alex's point. So that's your freedom number, for example. So if you had an additional $5,000 a month coming into your house, we'd have everything covered. You'd have, you'd have achieved financial freedom. Yep. So when people throw out arbitrary ideas of, I want $2 million, I want this, do you really? Maybe you live in St. Louis where the cost of living you know, is ridiculously low compared to where I live in New Jersey outside of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. With you know insane ta- property taxes, like our property taxes last year, seventeen thousand dollars. Oh my gosh! Like think about that for a moment. I know just a wow, nineteen thousand. <laughs> right, and then you go to Florida, and you you know it's ridiculously low, or you know out in the Midwest, it's ridiculously low. Like one of my rentals out in Indiana has a, it's one hundred and fifty dollars a year for <laughs> property taxes. You sure there is there a house on it? Right. No, it's just a porta potty, but it's <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a three bedroom, one bath house. So, so five thousand dollars a month uh, a month coming into your house doesn't sound like a lot. Now, here's the next step, and this is the fun part. So, this is the part where you figure out how many rental properties it would take to cover that five thousand dollars. So, most of the rental properties that I fix up and I sell to like my investors as turnkey properties, or I keep for myself that my wife and I do are three-bedroom, one-bath houses in states like Indiana, Mississippi, Pennsylvania, um, and, uh, and Michigan. And most of them rent out between 600 and 900 a month. I know you guys have rentals. I'm sure it probably, probably jives with that number, right? Somewhere between yeah. six, six and 900 a month. Yeah. Right, each of those houses costs approximately 29 to 40 grand after they've been rehabbed. But for now, we're only concerned with the rent. So for the sake of this example, let's use an easy rental average of about $700, right? Just take 700. So I like to be super conservative in my estimation. So I take $700 and I want to account for an additional 40% for vacancy and repairs. Mm-hmm. You know, both of which are rare because we just renovated the house. Yeah. And I'm in some of the best rental markets in the country where we have waiting lists for renters to get in there. So that 40% you can pretty much throw out, but I still put it in just to be super conservative. Well, that, that includes property management too, right? Oh, yeah. Property management and everything. Okay. So in a worst case scenario, you'd be making four hundred and twenty bucks a month, right? Seven hundred dollars times 0. 0.6. Yeah. Oh, four hundred. Even go down to four hundred instead of four twenty. So now here's the magic moment that I love. 
I've had so many people write to me about this, and I love, I love hearing this from people who never knew that they could put it this way. They're sitting at work, and they're fig- figuring out this freedom number. I have people email me all the time saying, here's my freedom number, and I love it because it's usually so low. Yeah. So we now simply take our expenses, which was that 5000 right? And now we divide it by that 420 and we get 11.9. Round it up, that's 12 houses. Hmm. That's 12 properties cash flowing $700 minus repairs and vacancies. That's all it takes. So I think when, and it's super motivating. And all you need to do is take that first step. And I, I just wish people would. And I get so passionate about this. this is something we never learned in school. You know, I'd love to be able, I want to start doing more of this, but to, to go to like YMCAs, to talk to inner city schools, just to be able to go to public libraries and, and, and on you know, weekly basis, talk to people about how they can, uh, you know, build their real, build a real estate investment lifestyle that can totally change their life because we were never taught this in school. Yeah. Ever. You know, still- it's also, if you take uh, $200 a month from income from a vacant lot, you only need 25 vacant lots. Oh right. boy. Here, <laughs> this is where I've been thinking about land. With no tenants or toilet no, yeah. or house. <laughs> right. Then you go down to like the sort of the Jack Bosch route. I know with, the, you know, with land and that's, and that's certainly a way to do it too. It's, uh, you know, how you find those pieces of land. Can you, you know, then you take the next, but you know, then you well, have the them for like number 10 years. the same either way. If we stick to what you're saying, it just yeah. depends on what vehicle you want to use. Right. And you could accelerate that if you've got multifamilies, so you've got, you know, multiple apartment complexes. I just spoke to an investor the other day. He's got 10 units in Miami and he's interested in, you know, one of the houses I've got uh, in Indianapolis that we've rehabbed and uh, is rented. Um, and he cannot believe, like, the, you know, I always try to get at, at a minimum 12% ROI um, yeah. for all of my my buyers on any of my, my properties. And so he's like, this is insane. He's like, you just cannot find this down down here. He's paying like $300,000 to get something that of equal, you know, it's just no way. Well, we've talked, that is so, you're so absolutely 100% right on. Because you, you and, and this is something that I've learned a lot from over the years from guys like Steve Cook and Sean McCloskey at Life in There, where, right, you design a vision for your life. What do you want your life to look like? Just, and then you break it out to what, what you need as a minimum to live a comfortable life if you didn't have any debt. And right. that number is surprisingly low, just like what you were talking about. Uh, it's very, very low. And then it, it, people think that they have to have millions of dollars saved up by the time they're 65 before they can finally enjoy life. Right. But they, it doesn't have to be like that. You can live the retirement lifestyle today, for the most part, you know what I'm saying, today with... with uh, very little income. I mean, you're looking at $5,000 a month. How much would you have to have saved up in a in a CD to get that kind of income? Probably a couple million dollars. The average American has about $70,000 saved in their 401k upon retirement. Upon so when Alex did that number of 60,000 a year, how are you going to live off of that? For what, I mean, we're living longer than ever. So if you retire at 65 or 64 or 59 and a half, are you going to live off of that till you're 100? I mean, that's almost, a, almost like a, you know, a third of your life still existent. I mean, there's no way. And then you want to travel and live a life. So to your point, Joe, like even you know, Tim Ferriss wrote about this a number of years ago in the four-hour work week, right, which is he and a bunch of friends got together and 
one of the things he talked about was we didn't want to be that guy driving that sports car when we're 65 with our, you know, with an extra paunch around our waist. And now we're starting to live our life for the first time. Yeah. Like, we wanted to drive that sports car and live the life we want at 33 uh-huh. and 35 and 40 instead of 65 when your body's breaking down and you can't travel around and walk anymore. And, oh, I don't want to climb up those castle steps because my knee, I've got arthritis in my knee. I'd rather sit in this coffee shop. <laughs> You know, you, you want to design the life that you want. You have to work backwards from that and reverse engineer it. Yeah. And you have to start with, what, like, why do you think you need $2 million? You, you don't. Uh-huh. But you can easily get there if you focus on it. Now, I, hear, I can hear, like, the echoes coming through the microphone here, which is from people, well, I just don't have the money for it. And I would challenge you on that because a lot of, like, you know, a lot of people don't think they do. But when you begin to look at the ways in which you can leverage these ridiculously low interest rates right now in local markets. So I would encourage people to use local banks in local markets. For instance, like one of my buyers right now on one of my properties, he had spent a lot on this like 10 unit or, um, and he wants to use one of our local banks in the town. You're able to get you know 70% financing on a rental property or 75% financing. They're not going to give you like the normal 20% down because you're not living in it. Yeah. But take out a loan. And so instead of $700, $700 a month is what you might be cash flowing if you paid cash for the property, maybe you're making half of that and half of that's going to pay down the note and you've got a renter in place. You know, then you just snowball it from there or you've got a 401k. Most people don't even know that you can borrow from your 401k, not take it out, borrow. Right. And here's a little secret. A lot of people at where I work, a lot of high-level investors do this every year. So when you say, oh, that's a mistake, that's a huge mistake, I'm telling you it's not. And we've done it, and I've bought two properties with it, and it's been fantastic, which is to borrow from your 401k. Most of you allow you to do it up to a certain point. So I think for me, it was, you were allowed to do it up to 50k. Okay. Now, it's not a penalty because you're not withdrawing it. You're borrowing. You're, you're taking out a loan against your own 401k. And then you're paying yourself back the interest. So right. it's like a double whammy. It's your interest that you get to write off as a, as a loan on your taxes. Plus now that money that was sitting there doing nothing for you has now bought you one or two properties. And now it's bringing in $700 to $1,400 a month now. And you're paying it back out of your payroll over the course of a year or so. You set the terms on how you pay it back. Usually it's about 12 months to 16 months. Or you can do it up to two years of a payback. But that was your money. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. That was your cash that was sitting there in that 401k plan doing nothing for you. So when people start to really wrap their heads around being able to do this, there's always going to be people who say they just can't do it. You know? And if you, can't, if you say you can't do it, you're going to find – you're going to keep enjoying that narrative and building up further walls on being able to do it. What a great opportunity for you where you're at in the industry where you can give this message to people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, you know, if I have one gift, maybe it's being able to talk. I'm like nothing else. I'm terrible at math. You know, <laughs> my wife handles all the CFO stuff in our family, and she's fantastic. And, but you know, to be able to communicate this message to people, uh, and I, you know, and I started to to notice as I was talking to just friends and family that it started to carry on beyond friends and family, like wanting to you know buy real estate for the first time, and so. I, people would you know send me emails. Hey, I heard from John that you do this, and, and it started to just sort of take off on its own. Huh. Uh, where I was, you know, wholesaling in New Jersey to buy rental properties out of state, and then I I just had doctors and lawyers and busy people coming to me, other you know reporters and anchors and stuff, and say, I, you know, can I buy three properties? Can I do this? And 
and they're like, now I bought three. Can I have two more? Like I love, you know, so it's to communicate this message to people and to make sure that people uh, aren't held back by these limiting beliefs. I feel like over the past few months, it's really taken shape for me as a message. I just want to keep hitting people over the head with it because I think it's so powerful. That's excellent. Can we talk a little bit about wholesaling and how you find your deals? How do you, how'd you get started in wholesaling? I was on, uh, after the show on a Saturday morning, I was listening to John Lee Dumas's podcast, um, entrepreneur on fire. And it was a Saturday episode and I was coming back and I was kind of sleepy and falling asleep in the train after a four hour morning show. And yeah, that show will do it for you. Right. I'm just kidding. (laughs) After four hours of who knows what Um, I was, I was making fun of not your show. I was making fun of uh, John Lee Dumas's show. But, uh, (laughs) sorry, sorry, (laughs) sorry, John Lee Dumas out there. If you're listening he, um, Which he's not. you know, he would talk to a lot of entrepreneurs. And so a lot of them just kind of were over my head because there's like startups and venture capital and that stuff just doesn't interest me. You know, I'm not, I'm not into, you know, interested in that. Although I did create like my own iPhone app, which I sort of, sort of felt like I was in the, uh, oh. I, I was in that world a little bit. All right. So I was listening and he had on Matt Terrio. Oh yeah. Which yeah. was for him to have on Matt Terrio of, you know, Epic, uh, what, Epic what real is, estate. The yeah, Epic podcast. Yeah, he's out of California. And I'm sure your audience is well mm-hmm. aware of Matt, and he's he's a great guy and very articulate. And I was half asleep listening to him talk about his real estate investing. And he normally wouldn't have anybody like this on his show, just right. in the real estate world. And he was talking about wholesaling, and that's how he got into it for the first time. And he realized like doing this thing called wholesaling and doing these deals. And I just sat straight up in my seat. Because I had been looking for a way to really kind of get back into real estate the way that I was in Florida, but I had been limited by like the foreclosure and other things. And so for wholesaling for me, just it was like a rocket. And then I started listening to, to you guys and Sean Terry um, and then my – who's now one of my best friends in the world, uh, our mutual friend Tom Kroll. Tommy boy. Tom so, Kroll. I love and Tom. And one of the great, great coaches in this country, by the way. And so he – he and I, I mean, he and I will talk like three or four times a day, you know, and it's, and it's crazy. He and I become like best friends. I feel like we came from like, you know, separated <laughs> at birth or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and awesome. so he's amazing. And so just that whole environment of like learn d- diving deep and it really is amazing, especially my dad was a realtor growing up. And so you just don't know any of this. I call it like the, the underbelly of real estate. <laughs> You know, how to do things your, your own way to find off-market real estate deals. So I started doing – my first deal was off of Craigslist. So when people say they can't do deals off of Craigslist, they're full of it. Yeah. My first – before I ever sent out any mail, I got on the phone. And this is the other thing I always find too when I go to real estate meetings. Like the other night I was at a real estate meeting. This guy, he – nice guy. And I won't mention names because I'm sure he's probably listening. He's – you know. But he – He's like, hey, I noticed you didn't email me back. I'm like, I did email you back. We were kind of going back and forth over email, but I, you know, I, I was trying to help him as much as I could. Um, but he kind of didn't want to, you know, he didn't want to listen to what I was saying. And I was telling him exactly how he needed to get started with wholesaling and what he needed to do. And he needed to get on the phone. That's the first thing you need to just get on the phone and yeah. learn the script, learn how to talk to people. So often people are worried about setting up their websites and their business cards and their logos and all that garbage. And it's mm-hmm. such a waste. You know, there was a period I actually took my website down for like a year and it didn't affect anything. <laughs> like, wow. 
you know, because no one cares. Sometimes it's good for people to like you get direct mail pieces that look kind of go and check it out a little bit. But if they're doing their investigation on your website, then they're not motivated. Exactly right. Yeah. So he told me that he he's like, yeah, I got a lot of stuff set up, and I I signed up for Pat Live, and I said, you signed up for Pat Live. <laughs> I, I'm like, for those of your audience that doesn't know what Pat Live is, it's an answering service, right? And I said, you haven't even made any phone calls yet. Who are you hiring to answer your phone calls for you? Mm-hmm. You know, here's an answering service that, you know, I know people have tried over the years and I don't know if it works well or not, but you've got to be the person on the phone. And you don't start building out those systems until you have those systems well yeah. built internally. Yeah. Like Michael Gerber's The E-Myth. You know, you need to know what your systems are before you can build them. You need to know how the thing, you want your business to work. And so I said, you need to get on the phone. Call Craigslist. Get on there. And he said, well, a lot of them seem like investors. I said, I, you know, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of investors on Craigslist. The key is to not read the ads at all. Just look for the phone number and call. Don't even yep. read the ad. Yep. You're going to build up a whole contact list of investors, wholesalers, realtors who use the for sale by owner section when they shouldn't be, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> which is like common lately. I don't know what it is. Oh yeah, it is. And I like to joke with the realtors I talk to on the phones. I'm like, oh yeah, I saw this in the for sale by owner section. Must have been a mistake. I'm sure it was just an oversight, but <laughs> you know, oh, I don't know how that got in there. Yeah, it's convenient. So, you know, and just make, and don't look at the ad at all and just get on the phone and learn your yeah. script, learn how to talk to sellers. And as soon as you find out that it's not a motivated seller, that it's a wholesaler or that it's a buyer looking for deals or that it's a realtor, just pivot Im- immediately. Learn the power of the pivot, you know? You know, oh, you're, oh, I see. So you're, you're an investor also. Great, great. Where do you usually like to buy properties? Yep, yep. Just pivot the conversation immediately. You don't have to get all flustered and nervous and continue on with your script when they just told you that they, they're an investor. Just take a deep breath and actually listen to people and make like 100 phone calls a day. Now, guys, listen to this, because this is coming from Clayton Morris, who probably had enough money to do a bunch of his own direct mail. Right. But you're not above getting on the phone, <laughs> are you, Clayton? No. And it's, you know, I don't like to cut, you know, look, we all like to look for for the better way, the easier way to do things, yeah, right? Sure. But often the shortcuts are at the expense of, uh, you know, of revenue. They're often at the expense of results. I mean, just look at trying, you know, a diet pill or any of this other garbage, right? Mm-hmm. Like just doing the basics, the fundamentals, of course, um, as you, you know, talk about, you know, get, getting back to the basics. Yeah. It really is, um, you know, really, it's so important. Sure. And I, my mistake, though, and I will say that then, so I started doing direct mail and that, of course, you know, helped explode things for me. Um. My first deal off of Craigslist, I think, was like $2,700. My next one I did off of Craigslist, so I did like two back-to-back, was like fifteen grand, And then like my third deal was like forty-three grand. Wow. Um, and then it just sort of snowballed from there. So the mistake that I made is that you sometimes forget the basics or what got you where you are now. Okay. And you start chasing shiny objects, right? You start – like finding out that people are doing it this way or that way or they're trying this thing over here or they're you know signing up for Pat Live or they're doing – and it can be so seductive to think that that's what you need to do and people forget what got them there. Hmm. So if you're just starting and you're having success and you've done like your first three deals and someone's telling you now you need to go and do this or now you need to go and do that, 
I'm so susceptible to it. And I know now after a few years of, of real intense, you know, understanding of myself and meditating on it and under, and, you know, deeper understanding, journaling about it and figuring out things that, you know, don't be drawn into that. And I love Jim Collins quote. It's one of my favorite quotes. And I had it up on my whiteboard above my desk. If you have more than three priorities, then you have none. Interesting. And people very often, you know, if, and if one of those priorities is your family and the other one is your health, then that leaves one. So you can't like, if you, if you then start putting four or five and six and you want to start adding land deals and, you know, that becomes a whole separate business. And I made that mistake. You know, my attention towards doing land deals totally took me away from wholesaling huh. and wholesaling houses. And then you have to set up a whole other infrastructure for that. It's a totally different – it really can be a different dynamic. And some people say, well, it's not really – well, you know, it can, it can and can't be. Because on the marketing side, if you're going to market it differently on the back end, then it ends up being different you're to a different type of buyer. And, you know, so there are a whole bunch of different variables. But anytime your attention is taken away from what got you there, then you're one the risk of going down a rabbit hole that is not – you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take like two months for you to get out of it. Yeah, that's key. That that is really important. Focus. The uh, I, I thought of another quote I heard the other day, and I think I talked about this before. The definition of an entrepreneur is somebody who finds something that works and stops doing it and does something else. Right. Uh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. I'm totally guilty of that. Oh, totally it, guilty of that. We all are, and you know, it's not. It's it's. Uh, I think as men, sometimes it's hard for us to admit. Um, you know, we put on this facade that we're you know, impenetrable, uh, that we can't sort of feel pain, but we do, you know, and when, when your wife looks at you like she did uh, a little while ago and she said, what are you chasing? You've started nine different projects this summer. I counted them. What are you chasing? (laughs) That's a great question. Yeah. And it really is because I think we can all, I mean, I grew up with my dad who would, and my mom, but my dad, you know, we'd be at like a dinner party at our house or something. It was like, kids are going to open a birthday presents after dinner. And my, and my, someone would say to my dad at dinner, Oh, you know, Don, you got to check out this, uh, this new you know, entrepreneur book, this, you got to, you know, that's, it's, it's really great. He was the kind of guy that would like literally get up from the dinner table after dinner and like go to like my mom would be like, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to Barnes and Noble. I get this book as if that would change his life right now. And be like, well, it's a birthday party tonight. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Oh, wow. Well, I need to get this because he thought like this is the thing that's going to do it for me. Like this is the thing that's going to change everything. And he was constantly chasing things. But he had everything he needed right in front of him. He had a great family, middle class house, you know, nice house in Reading, Pennsylvania. Went to a great school. I, you know, his kids did great. My sister and I went off to college and have good careers. And yet it was really hard for him to see that he had everything right in front of him. So he's he constantly chasing things. Hmm. Glad I have this awareness now. I mean, he's 81 and he still sort of chases things. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I could have, I saw myself becoming that. And I wanted to stop it in its tracks. And look, it's a work in progress, but I'm sure so many of your audience suffers from this and chases things for Chase's sake. And it's so destructive. That's interesting. Because one of the things you said um, when we were talking about this show is how you wanted to talk about how doing less and listening leads to massive success. And it, it is about focusing on the simple, basic things, isn't it? Which means doing less. And, and we talked before, too, about the, the Pumpkin Plan book. Right. Um, I, I Honestly, I read that book thinking, this is an amazing book, but I want three different pumpkins. 
know? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, because for those you – know, your audience I'm sure knows by now, if you've talked about Mike Michalowicz's great book, uh, The Pumpkin Plan, which, you know, cutting off those like smaller pumpkins in order to feed – you know, the, the vines feed that one big pumpkin. Right. But, man, they creep up. You know, and the little pumpkins, they start and you're like, oh, I'm just going to take this little thing on right now. But you can't. You've got to say no. It, saying yes to things means saying no to everything else. Even if you offend people, you, you know, you're going to offend people when you say no, but you've got to do it. I just interviewed on my podcast. I just started a new podcast that launched um, officially like two weeks ago. The Empower Podcast. Yeah, it's called Empower, and it's really a passion project for me about helping people break free of these limiting beliefs. And mm-hmm. I'm interviewing some incredible people on there, um, You know, people like Byron Katie, I mean, who's like a sage living among us, people like Deepak Chopra and, and um, Lewis Howes. Lewis Howes, who just had on the show uh, from the School of Greatness. But one of the – why I bring this up is not to pimp my own show, but to mention this one book by Greg McEwen called Essentialism. Hmm. And I think your audience particularly would love this book. And the interview that I did with Greg was fantastic. He's a British guy, and he was just on the verge of a mental breakdown. He would literally, I think he mentioned to me, I can't remember the exact context, he like left his kid's school, thing, like an event, to go take this, uh, this conference call that ended up being like worthless. But like his bosses were like, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. So he like bailed on his family to go and do this. And that's when like everything changed for him. And the book called Essentialism. It's like how to live an essential life. And what he talks about is, you know, when you say yes to something, you literally have to say no to everything else. And the book walks you through how to set this up. And he compares constantly like the non-essentialist versus the essentialist. And almost overwhelmingly as he's describing these non-essentialists, it's me. <laughs> you know, it's – or it has been me. Uh, and it's, it's eye-opening. Um, so I would encourage your, you, know, you guys to pick up the essentialist uh, or know, essentialism. something that I struggle with because what, what, a lot of times I catch go myself going into the direction of – man, I need to have like three acquisitions people and I need to have this big op- wholesaling operation here yeah. and yeah. I need to have, uh, you know, 10 deals a month that I'm doing. Uh, and and then I look at it and I say, well, I got my new construction deals going on or whatever and that provides a nice income. And, um, you know, I do my wholesales in my different markets and my wholesales here and it produces a great income. So do I really need to have... Right, All and that I think other stuff that. Let me ask you this, Alex, because I business, bet you, know? I bet you, I bet you, because you do this podcast and you're certainly plugged into the real estate world, so you have these great guests on your show on a regular basis who have like big infrastructures and they talk about their teams and, right? I'm sure that there's like a jealousy thing, and it's a com- <laughs> and it's a comparison thing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah oh, you're always guy. You know, this guy down in Atlanta, he's got a team of 20 people and, he, oh, everything's just like smooth sailing. It's like, first of all, you don't know what his life is like at all. And I'm, I'm speaking from experience. Like, this is my struggle. So I, this is like hits close to home when you talk about this. Like, oh, I need to open an office, and which yeah, I did. That that's it right there, opening the office. <laughs> yeah, I opened an office like two years ago. Really? and. Yeah, and I was the only one that would go there. I tried to hire like an acquisitions person and it just was like, what am I doing? I don't need to have really? an office. I'm just doing it because I think I need to or because someone said so on a podcast that they have it. So I'm chasing what they want, not what's important to me. And so when I – and I was you know, going after wholesale deals. I was always so stressed and anxious when I first started trying to 
make deals where there weren't deals or forcing deals where there weren't deals and uh, or as deals were even coming together and I knew it was a great deal. Certain things would start to fall apart and I would just be like losing sleep at night about it. Wow. And meanwhile, this is like my second, you know, I still have like my main job, you know, but yeah. this is like because I've, I think I've always wanted to push through what my dad, you know, as an entrepreneur maybe couldn't do. You know, and and push through. It was like I've got to make this work. I've got to do this. So all of this stress and anxiety, trying to push through and do these things, and I just I had it. When my wife said, "What are you chasing?" Like, oh, maybe this kind of direct mail. If I do this, this is going to work. Or if I stick this sticker on my car, this is going to work. Or all of these other things. And then when you just get back to basics, and I just stripped it all away. So my wife and I went to Napa, and I write about this actually on my blog, uh, ClaytonMorris.com. I have like there's a blog post called "I Had a Breakdown." It's like my first, and <laughs> and I just kind of like explain like what what happened, and you know we're sitting out there. She's from that area, so we just like left the kids with her her mom, and uh, we we drove out to Calistoga for like two days, and it was just like one of those Beautiful. transformative. Yeah, I mean, and she grew up going there with her mom like on spa weekends, you know. So she's like, "You're gonna love this," and I'm like, "Oh my god." So we just were like having wine and just talking. I, I literally was like crying, you know, tears like this during this breakdown. And, and, and she's like, you have everything you need right here in front of you. And even when you don't think you do, like, oh, I don't have enough money. I was like, yes, you do. You have your health. You have your brain. Put it to good use and make things happen. But do it in a focused, calm, intentional, step-by-step, one leg into one pant leg at a time way. And it will all come together. So right after that, I started doing some wholesale deals and I literally stepped fully back and I totally went through them. I didn't, I didn't adopt any of the anxiety of the seller, any of the anxiety of the buyer, hmm. any of the anxiety of the lawyers involved, anything. And just stepped back from that whole process. And you know what? They still closed. Yeah. They still closed with the same efficiency as if I had stressed the whole time wandering around in circles in my office. <laughs> Your home office, right? <laughs> right, my home office. <laughs> right. Literally okay. walking in circles thinking, oh my God, what is he? I got to make sure the title company, oh, I don't know what this lien means. Is that going to, well, I got to get on the phone, uh, you know, sending emails, five emails, like this anxiety for no reason. And it's, it's just so wasteful. And, mm. and, you know, things end up happening on their own the way they're supposed to anyway. You just can't force things. And when you force things, you're just robbing yourself. You take years off your life, quite honestly. Yeah, you could. Yeah. There, was, there was a study that came out last week about people that have anxiety. It takes like five to seven years off your life. Wow. So, Well, you're talking about um, doing less, right? The essentialism, the pursuit of less. I'm looking at the book here and I scroll down. There's the full book that you can get. Right, and then there's a summary version of the book, right? That's like a 15 minute summary. It's called here by somebody else. So, what should I get? Should I get the main book or the 15 minute summary version of the book? I would just get the main book. Um, you know, it's on Audible as well. So, if you're not into to reading, if you're into podcasts, it's a great place to to grab uh, Greg McEwen's book on Audible and just listen to it while you're all right while you're driving to work. Um, Done. He re- yeah, I just he- did it. He reads it. A so man of action. <laughs> the British British voice. Um, it's great. And uh, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's one of those things where I think when you start down that path, you've got to do it as a daily practice. 
spending that time, maybe five to 10 minutes in the morning when you first wake up, sort of practicing gratitude, opening up a journal. I know this may sound hokey to like real estate investors, but it really is the key to like exploding your wealth and your abundance is to be grateful, like what you have now and where you're coming from so you can see where you're going. So many people just spin their wheels and they don't know what they're doing. They're doing 80 things and they're not doing any one of them well. So it really is um, at a high level for real estate investors. You know, uh, we can you know talk tactics and strategies and mail pieces and all of that, which is which is important. But it, it, you can't do it well if you don't have your head straight first. Well, you know what's kind of crazy is you know you you're you're supposed to replace yourself, and that's how you have a real business, right? Um, with uh, with your job or with uh, or I should say with this wholesaling gig. But the thing is, when you get to that point and you start replacing yourself, then you are forced to grow. And you, in fact, you have to continue to grow. It's a great point. Or else the whole house of cards will come down tumbling on you if you don't. Well, uh, right. you're absolutely right, Alex, because I was just reminded of, so I was listening to somebody. You know, and I think it was, I think. Uh, it was Tom's brother, Todd Toback, who was telling me about this. He was listening to an interview from a guy. Oh, I wish I could remember what this was. Um, he has a huge business, but he keeps it really, really simple. It's just like him and one assistant. And he said that he looked at business, and he looked at all of his friends cause, who are very successful and, and uh, make a lot more money than him. But at the end of the day, you look how much they actually take home. It is not any more than he is. <laughs> but he's and he's he's working the gross revenue, right? Yes. Well, the gross revenue is such a lie. It's right. it's the what you actually take home. And when you're looking at a project or a new thing that you want to do, you don't need to think about how much am I going to make with this. But you should be asking yourself how much is it going to cost me, right, to do this, right? And so his whole idea was, and this was a guy. Oh, I forget what it was, but he was. You you might have even heard of him, but. His he keeps his business small intentionally because he 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 can see the his friends who have big successful businesses um, the stress that it takes away from them uh, when they finally do sell their business which is the goal of every entrepreneur eventually you know to sell your business then they can live relax and take a breather and and live uh, by then it's probably too late why not just do that now right. Well, and I think it comes back to something Alex was saying also about comparison. So, you know, you're comparing yourself to somebody else. You know, I like to think of like the 1800s. I was a history major in college, and I like the idea of like what would it look like to, to wholesale in 1850s? Hmm. Like in the 1850s Oklahoma or something like that, right? <laughs> you wouldn't know anybody around you. You wouldn't know podcast. You wouldn't know all of these different comparisons and people, and you would just do what you think you need to do, and you do it well. And you'd either be a success or you wouldn't or you'd change course based on your success and you'd be watching you know, the fruits of your labor. But you're so often hearing how this person did this and did this person did that. And so you're, you're trying new tactics and strategies on a regular basis and you're never doing any of them well because as soon as you start one of them, you've got 30 pumpkins growing. And instead of just focusing on the one pumpkin, like without, you know, without cell phones and without computers and you know, all of these things – you would probably just be focused on the essential things, you know, like you say, like brilliant at the basics, you know? Well, okay. Can I, can I bring this home a little personal here uh, for me, since I've got you guys on the phone? Um, I, I've really lately been interested in land, okay? 
um, buying vacant lots. Because I, I, let me rewind a little bit. I've been really interested in starting to build my passive income portfolio. Okay, I, I my income personally comes from wholesaling and from my info business. Okay, and I'd like to add in something else for passive income. Um, and I don't want to own a ton of rental properties. So now I'm looking at maybe buying some land and selling them on terms. Okay, selling them with notes. And I see we've interviewed a few guys, Mark Podolsky, great guy, Jack Bosch, great guy, and I'm friends with these guys. I know a few others that are actually making a lot of money in land. They're doing well. It's not hype. Um, okay, how everything that we've been talking about here, is this something that I should not be looking at because I'm already making money wholesaling? I'm already making money in my info business. Should I add another I think another there's thing? different buckets, though, Joe. So you've got like your active income bucket and your passive income bucket. So if there's nothing in the passive income bucket, you could possibly add something to it to be passive. Right. Are you, know? you doing anything with the wholesaling business? Like, that's the question. I come back to the three priorities. Um, you know, and it's if you've got family as your main priority. And maybe health is your second priority. I don't know what your priorities are if you have it on your whiteboard. Sure. You know, is wholesaling the second one? Is the, is the education business the third? Then is land the fourth? And then is... Yeah, you know, it'll be, it'll be kind of like that. I, mean, I could say, well, real estate is my priority, my, my, my third or fourth priority. Um, but inside of real estate, I have different priorities there, right? Right. And so, but all of those take enormous attention. Right, because you're not just you know you're not just like some guy who's you know a middle school teacher who wants to buy like a plot of land once every five years. You're going to want to go big or go home. I'm sure you're going to want you know a marketing campaign. Yeah, you know you, you think about it from top to bottom, right? The marketing campaign. And I've gone down this this rabbit hole with land, and certainly the calls come in absolutely, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's like okay, then then what happens to the calls you're fielding on wholesaling? So. Uh, in that infrastructure and the acquisition side. So the calls come in, the marketing is different. Um, the, uh, w- you know, where you're doing the research to make sure you're getting the right pieces of land, um, how you're structuring the notes on the backside so that you're getting the passive income from someone. And then, you know, there are also those weird signs that I talk to a number of people in the finance world. I mean, high, high level who are just scared crapless about 2016 and what's about to happen. Mm. Really, And one of the things that is always sustainable in those down markets is rental real estate, rental real real estate with, you know, brick and mortar. And land is usually one of the first things that people, you yeah. know, dump. Yeah. You're and right. I saw this during 2007, 2008 with what happened with, the, you know, with, with all the things in Florida and then North Carolina where we were doing land. So and then no one's renting them. You know, no one's paying, pay, you know, paying those fees to, to to rent that land to go there and ride their ATV on it anymore. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just questions like that. I mean, I just think if you're setting up a whole infrastructure, which I'm sure you certainly know a thing or two about infrastructure. So you're not. It's not like this is your first rodeo. You know how to do it. You may have an easier time doing it than most people. But I'm telling you, if I get a phone call and someone says, Clayton, we got to try land. It's so seductive. I mean, I go into it. You know. I've had to learn the hard way over the past two years to 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 step back from it and slow down, you know, sleep on it for a few weeks and then then see if it's something that's still drawing me to it. Well, I I've been sleeping on this for about four months. Yeah, I've heard you I know I I heard you talking about it even over like in the early parts of the summer. Um yeah. 
that when I heard you talking about it, it's like when I had kind of come out of the the fog of land. So I was, <laughs> <laughs> and I heard you talking about it, and I said, "Oh, well." Tom uh, Kroll keeps on telling me, "Don't do it." He's, you know, how he passionate he is. He yells at me, "Don't do it." Well, I, to be honest with you, he and I did it together. Oh, really? He and I formed. Okay, a, you know, but you guys yeah. were just wholesaling them. You weren't selling them on terms. Well, we were and we weren't. So that's you know, it's two different exit strategies. So, but. Yeah, we we you know we were doing it in different states. We had set up the full infrastructure and calls and phone calls and mail and everything. And it just, you know, Todd by the way warned us against it. Yeah, Todd Toback warned us against it. And uh, who here's one of those guys who just stays laser focused on what he's good at, right? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Which is wholesaling, and he just stays laser focused on it. And when things you know, and and when we had when Tom had mentioned that we were going to start doing this, Todd said, "Great." Uh, you be the guinea pig. Let me know how it works out for you. <laughs> <laughs> but I've but, talked uh, to Tom about it, and I, I, first thing I thought was, well, you weren't doing it right. Right. You know? Well, sure, and I'm sure that's probably part of it, but how much of a learning curve do you want to spend? <sighs> you know, it's one of those things yeah. like, and I ask you why, I'll, I'll come back to something you said offhandedly, which is why you don't want to hold more rental real estate. Like what you said, I don't want to, I don't want to hold, you know, I don't want to have rentals. Yeah. And I just would ask, yeah, I'm just curious why. Well, I had a bunch of them in 2008 when the market crashed. and uh, the, Leveraged? Yeah, they were way over leveraged. And yeah. so the vacancies just I, – I, I couldn't – I lost sleep. It was stressful. Um, and now I, I bought them wrong, so I get it. If I were to buy them right, then it would be a completely different story. And, and, and I would not rely on a property manager Actually, I would probably just hire a part-time assistant to just manage my properties. What would you do with vacant land when the when the bottom falls out of the market and people stop paying you? Well, by then, um, I'll have it paid. I'll have my money back, right? So, I, I, any money that I would invest in land, I'd have back within six months. That's my goal. So, I just would. I wouldn't have that income. Yeah. Um, now, the, the advantage of housing is people always want a roof over their head. Right. But I've talked to these guys that I trust, and uh, even when the worst uh, was hit, uh, they were about a 30% default rate. So it wasn't you know, right. 100%. They still were getting some income, but they had already they owned all this land free and clear. You can't borrow money to buy land. Right. Yeah, that's the key. I mean, you, can't get a, you can't get a loan to buy land. Um, so you it buy, is a, you buy them real cheap. No, see, I'm not trying to talk you into it, <laughs> <laughs> but you buy it cheap, you know, and you don't, you, you get that money back usually on the down payment that you get or within six months of down payment plus payments, uh, you get the money back. So if they did stop paying, you just foreclose or take the deed back, whatever it is, and then do it again. Right. But, uh, you know, I get it. You know, it, I'm looking at it as, um, well, I, I don't want to get too personal about it on the, on a podcast, but, um, this is something that I think that I'm just still talking about praying about it. And I, I know exactly where you're coming from Clayton, because I've, I'm looking at about two or three other projects right now that I've taken on. And, uh, now I have, uh, person uh, people involved where i'm going to really hurt their feelings when i back out of these projects you know because i overcommitted i used to say you know say yes before you say no and that used to be a mantra of mine and i've dropped it 
because that ends up happening. You end up not, you know, you're disappointing yourself. You're disappointing other people, but more importantly, you're disappointing yourself. Yeah. And you're letting yourself down because it should have been one of the pumpkins you cut off at the beginning. That's why I think the Greg McEwen book, Essentialism, is so great to, to, to get to wrap your head around because it really sets up a filter ahead of time for you. You it's know, and also pumpkin plan. You said, yeah, Alex, you haven't read that book. No, good grief. Yeah, the Mike McCallowitz book. We're still friends. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> We've talked about that book a hundred times. I don't think we have. See, Clayton, Clayton, are you looking for? A, I'm looking for a new co-host on my podcast. If you're interested, Clayton. <laughs> But, um, you know, I just would go going back to those rental real estate things. I mean, uh, you know, I think it's fear based, Joe. It's fear. It's total fear that's it's motivating you away from owning turnkey or, you know, keeping that rental portfolio. Because I'm reminded of something a buddy of mine said, a buddy of mine said, who lives in outside of Detroit. He owns, at my last talk to him about, you know, a few months ago, he owned uh, like 80 properties, single family homes. Um, some of them have mortgages on them. Most of them are free and clear, uh-huh. but he's got, he's got loans on them. Not every one of them, but during the worst recession we've ever had since, you know, since the great depression, he didn't see one dip in his rental income. Wow. You know, but it's because though he bought them correctly and what is, what, you know, what are you going to do? Lower someone's rent by 20 bucks in these Midwest markets where it's 700 already or 625, you can lower it to 600. Okay. Maybe. But that's not really going to help them out anyway. It's not like New York City or Miami or San Francisco where when the recession hit, you know, they cut rents by like $1,000. So these big, large apartment complexes, yes, they did slash their rent. Um, but you would never want to buy an apartment complex in New York City or, you know, that's, that's ridiculous. But still, so, yeah, when you look at the, the drop in rents, compare them to the drop in prices of houses, the, the rents barely even budged. Yeah, so the rents stayed the same. He didn't lose one penny on his rental properties. And, and yeah, maybe he lost like, you know, $5,000 in, in value, but who cares because he was holding it and now they've gone back up again. Hmm. Yeah. You know, so I, I just, um, I know we all, have, I mean, heck I had went through a foreclosure. I had, you know, such a terrible time, you know, buying certain speculative properties. But when I started focusing on doing it the right way with my rental portfolio and now right above my desk, I've got on my whiteboard, a huge, circle around my focus on my one singular objective, which is 300 rental properties. Everything must feed this goal. That's what it says right above my desk. And so everything I do. 100 rental properties? So I started. I thought we were talking about, uh, what was this book called? Essentialism. (laughs) What is this? Honestly, what it comes down to is when you focus on, so I had 30 there for the longest time. Okay. And when when you get done reading Grant Cardone's 10X book and you realize- Just 10x this goal because 30 30 is nothing. When you break it down, like reaching 30, when you start snowballing and leveraging these properties, cashing out and snowballing more and buying more, like you can get to that number in like two years if you're smart about it. Even when you start with no money, you can do it. So 300 is nothing. So maybe I'll reach 100. Who knows? But maybe I'll reach 300 and that'd be great. So instead of like thinking small, I wanted to think big. Yeah. You know, in in that book, The One Thing, they actually had a chapter in there. It was one of my favorite chapters in that book. Uh, about thinking big, yeah, and because when you when you think about those things, your you know your life expands to meet it always, uh, and it's so true. 
Uh, I think back to my dreams and goals as a kid when I was, you know, 15 years old in Reading, Pennsylvania, and and I've I would dream about them. I used to, you know, picture hosting a you know hosting a, a national television show. I and I would think about it constantly, and that was my goal, right? That was my my big goal, and sure enough, you know, it was to be in New York City and to to host a to host a national show and to get to have fun on, on television. And it's awesome. 300 properties are these paid off properties or these debt finance properties or what? Well, eventually. So I think one of the keys that Gary Keller talks about in the millionaire real estate investor is to buy real estate, own real estate, and then to cash flow real estate. So when you're in your thirties, your forties, buy real estate. And if you do it with on terms, you, you figure out a way to, you know, to do it where you're at least cash flowing like 100 bucks a month from your tenants over your loan amount so that you get, you're pocketing 100 bucks, your loan is covered, um, and you're paying down your notes, right? Then you own – once it's paid off, then you own it. So maybe you do a 10-year note, 15-year note, whatever it is, and then you own it. Now after 15 years, now all of those properties pop and start cash flowing. And that's so when you're young and you're you're with it, you don't necessarily need them to cash flow right now. And that's why this Gary Keller book is so great. And it really goes back to the fundamentals. I think he wrote that right after or right before the recession. Mm-hmm. But all of the fundamentals are are more perfect now than ever. Yeah. Because they're all that book is written on the fundamentals. It's the basics. It's not like in the sky. That book was written, I think, right before. Yeah. But that's you're absolutely right. And the reason why I got burnt is I was not buying on the fundamentals. Yeah, we were in the same boat on that, Joe. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've talked about that. Yeah, we have. Wow, what a great podcast, Clayton. This has been really enjoyable. Awesome. Thank you, guys. I, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. So it's been funny. I listen to you guys every time when I'm mowing my lawn and you know at the gym. And so it's, I feel like I know you guys very, very well. And uh, I think we have a lot of mutual friends. So it's been great to actually finally connect. <laughs> That's for sure. And it's so funny you were doing the land with Tom. Because right. t- Tom and I have talked a lot about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll have to pick his brain about it. But I'm, you know, if you go in like learning from the mistakes that we made, and if it's something you're really passionate about, just, you know, it's got to be, I think it really has to be treated as another, another, yeah. another business. You've got to give it its time and attention because if you're going to, you know, going to give it half 50%, then it's, it's not going to bear fruit, you know? Hmm. Okay. Well, good. Anything else you want to ask Clayton, Alex, before we let him go? I don't have any questions. Great call. That's been very good, very entertaining. Clayton, what do you have next on your um, projects? And, and you, you got your podcast coming out in power. People can find that on iTunes. Yep, I would love for people to, to subscribe. I'm sure a lot of your audience would get a lot of value out of that. Um, I've only got, I think at this recording, I only got 15 reviews up there. So I know we're not, I got to catch up to you guys with the number of oh, uh, good, iTunes reviews. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> so. So uh, you can do it. <laughs> so really, honestly, uh, I'm just you know laser focused on helping people. Uh, you know, I, I like to say this, and I really, really mean it. In fact, I've got in in about 13 minutes, I've got a call with an investor. Um, I say I'm happy to jump on the phone with anyone who wants to talk about real estate and learn, um, or just get started. Maybe wants to pick up you know turnkey properties or just you know anything. I don't care, and I literally schedule calls back to back to back to back. I just jump on the phone and talk to people. Um, so, and I love doing it because I just get to learn so much from people and what they're you know what they want, what they're looking for, 
uh, some of the hurdles, like some of the negative self-talk that they're suffering from. Uh, I feel like I just want to give back as much as I can. So one way to do that, just literally go to my website. You can email me um, and I'll email you back, I promise. I have 347 emails that just came in today and I'm going to write back to all of them. And I always respond on Twitter. So my viewers know that. I, you know, we're on in front of 2 million people. And I always say this on the air that if anyone writes me, I always write them back. So I promise you I will. So go to my website. And if you want to get that cheat sheet, by the way, you can just like get that for free at ClaytonMorris.com slash freedom. And then email me. And I will we'll set up a time to talk on the phone. And we will talk. And awesome. I will help you out and answer questions and pick your brain and have a good time. That's really nice. Very wow. generous. Of that you, is awesome. Yeah. Awesome. All right, guys, ClaytonMorris.com, C-L-A-Y-T-O-N, Morris with two R's, M-O-R-R-I-S. And uh, we'll see you guys in the next show. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, guys. Thank you. 